Daniel 3:17 and 18. The title of the sermon is But If Not dash parentheses they were expendable close the parentheses the hymns how firm a foundation ye saints of the lord and guide me o thou great jehovah O God, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for those who have gone before us and who have prepared a way for us, for those who have been great pioneers of our faith. The example of whose lives is a great inspiration to us in the conduct of our lives in this day in which we live. We thank Thee, our Father, for them and for their contribution to us because they could see and feel thy presence and know thy great power. Help us to know that thy power is the same to this very day and to this very hour, and that the needs which are all about us, which cry out so desperately for the power of God, can be met through the abundant riches that thou hast for us in our Savior Jesus Christ. We then, Father, thank thee for the past, We thank thee for the opportunities of this present day and even for the problems that challenge us, knowing that from these thou canst test us and that from this testing thou canst bring forth that from our lives which shall honor thee and which shall show the glory of thy purposes being worked out amongst the affairs of men. We therefore pray for this nation in which we dwell for our president and those who counsel with him and the great problems that beset his office and the heavy responsibility which he bears and that ultimate reckoning which he has to make with thee for all that is committed to his charge and the responsibilities that each of us has in praying for those who are in authority over us and in conducting our own lives in such a way that we bring a useful contribution to the nation in which we dwell. We confess the sins of selfishness and wickedness which have beset our land and pray that thou wilt enable us to rectify these evils. We pray, Father, for those places in our world where there is strife and bloodshed and trouble, especially for the Middle East and especially for Vietnam. We pray for peace, O God, for our troubled world. We thank thee, Father, for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for thy church throughout the world this day and the witness which thy church has to bear with all of the mistakes that have been made, all of the errors that have been perpetrated. We thank thee that thou canst still correct and thou canst still lead and use thy church. And therefore, we pray for refreshment to come, revival and renewal, and greater dedication unto thee. Bless those who pray toward that end this day, whatever their church denomination might be. And, O God, our Father, we intercede for those whose lives are beset this day with suffering and trouble and pain. 
especially praying for those who feel that their prayers are never answered, those for whom sadness has come, whose faith is dim, and yet who struggle on, we commit them unto thy grace, thy great love, which is able to take and to bless even the weakest of faith. We pray, Father, for those with special needs at this hour. We do, O oh God, pray for our own school here and for the beginning of a new semester and for the opportunities that it presents to us. We pray for the administration and faculty and the responsibilities that they bear, that thou wilt guide each one of us that we might do our jobs in the best possible manner so that we may make a useful contribution to the lives of those students who are committed to our care. For those new students who come to our community, we pray that thou wilt make them a blessing to us and thus in turn a blessing to them. And now, our Father, as we continue to wait before thee, we seek pardon and forgiveness for the ways in which we have failed thee. And we seek the corrective power of thy word being applied to our lives that we might better serve thee. Our petitions we offer unto thee in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our second lesson is taken from the third chapter of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. I'm beginning to read at verse 8, and I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version. Certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn and pipe and lyre and bagpipe and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whosoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no heed to you. They do not serve your gods, or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn and pipe and bagpipe and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image which I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. 
and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Amen. May God bless to our hearts this reading from his word. Let us pray. We return our thanks unto thee, O God, our Father, for all that thou hast put into our hands. We pray continually for greater wisdom in the use that we make of the gifts that we have. We pray that the Holy Spirit shall guide in the use of these gifts which we bring here to dedicate unto thee this day, praying that somehow they may be carefully guided to bring honor and glory unto thy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. I can remember as a little boy in Lamar County in Texas, a high event would be to go into town on Saturday and especially to go down to what was called the Market Square. The Market Square was the place that all of the rustic gentry could come to with their goods and sell them to the townspeople. You would go there in the summertime and see watermelons and cantaloupe and tomatoes and peaches and all of the fruits that the people could grow in that area. And it was also a place where the politicians and the medicine men would come and make their speeches and try to sell their wares. And always there were preachers who came to the market square. There used to be an especially weird class of preacher that came there that frightened me. And as a little boy, eight or nine years old, I used to go down and see a man with an enormous chart. And colored on this chart would be great towering buildings, very much up to date in their appearance. And down the streets would be slithering great monsters and dragons with several heads and horns and crowns on the heads, such beasts as no one would ever read about or see in any book on natural history. And usually the man would be talking about something that he had read from the book of Revelation or from the book of Daniel. Now, I have to honestly admit that this did not make me love either the book of Daniel or the book of Revelation anymore. In fact, I tried to flip very quickly through those books in my Bible reading and not look at them as carefully as I might have looked. And then as I grew older and became aware of controversy that raged over books in the Bible that are called apocalyptic, which means the pulling back of a curtain so that you can see cryptic and strange events, I saw why distortions existed. And of course, there are always the extremes on both sides. The people who are quick to rip out the book of Daniel and relegate it to mere mythology, and the other group of people who are quick to take it out and say that this is history written down word for word in in advance, and that they know all that it means. Well, when I began to study the critics, and the book of Daniel has always been the happy hunting ground of the critics, uh, I began to see that there were people who said that this book was composed 
not five centuries before the birth of Christ as it purports to be, but rather during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, a very mean Greek king who was determined you remember Alexander the Great by about 328 had conquered all the world and sat down to cry about it because there was nothing else to conquer. Well, he had a tough time conquering the Jews. And it took about four Greek kings to get down to really being tough with the Jews in the matter of their religion. But by about 170 B.C., this Antiochus Epiphanes determined that he would not only put Greek learning into Jerusalem, but he would replace the Hebrews' God and law and services with pagan rites. He went to this to such an extent that he had Zeus erected in the temple in Jerusalem and slaughtered pigs, and nothing could have been more offensive to a Jew than the slaughtering of pigs and poured out their blood on the altar, took roast pork and had his soldiers cram it down the throats of Jews. He killed them for possessing even a copy of the scriptures, desecrated their Sabbaths and their festivals, and wrought all manner of evil against them. And then there arose a mighty hero among the Jews whose name was Judas Maccabeus. And those of you who have a Bible that has the Apocrypha in it, can read in the book of the Maccabees certain exploits of this great Jewish hero. He rebelled against the Greek and was successful in his revolt. Well, now then, there were people who said that the book of Daniel was written during this period to encourage people not to give up under religious persecution. I don't believe that. I would accept the fact that there were editors who had some more things to contribute maybe in this period, but I believe the book is what it purports to be and was written when it purports to have been written. But I do believe that during a time of persecution, people would pull out this book and read it with uncommon interest and with more zest than they had ever read it before. And so I can understand why some critics would adopt that theory. Because during a time such as the severe persecutions un under Antiochus, people would get out the book of Daniel and they would read how this one Daniel, this judge of God, refused, refused to quit praying when an edict of the king commanded him to do so and was flung to lions. Or they would read about these Hebrew children, these gifted young men, who were selected as counselors to the king and how they were told to bow down to an image, an 80-foot tall image put up. And the king tried to say that this image represented himself and that he wanted to be worshipped as God. And the choice was very simple for these people to commit idolatry or to be put to death. But their faith in God was great. And the greatest thing to me about it all is not their deliverance, which I believe with all my heart, but their attitude. Listen to the words. They're printed in your bulletin. 
They say to this king, O king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. And furthermore, he will deliver us. But if not, O king, be it made known unto thee, we will not bow down to thee and serve thy golden image. And they would not. The great phrase there to me is, but if not. Look at this. Number one, they were sure that God could deliver them from the burning fiery furnace. The whole record of this amazing people, the Jews, is itself a great testimony to the eternal God's working in the history of the world. If you want to see a miracle, just think about the Jews, how they have been delivered in spite of the most vicious persecutions ever known in the history of the world, all down through the ages, a persecuted people, and sadly enough often persecuted by those who call themselves ministers of Christ. The other day I was reading a statement of a Jewish woman who said that every time she looked at a cross, she trembled. She trembled because she had read much about persecution that had been leveled against the Jew. And if ever in all the world you want to honor Jesus Christ, be good to a Jew for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the purpose of helping that Jew to love Jesus as his Messiah. Well, these Hebrew children said that our God is able to deliver us, and they based this on their history. They could remember how God had taken a man by the name of Abraham into a land that he did not know that he was going to, where he had no knowledge of what awaited him there, but because of his faith, God took him there and honored him, and a great nation began to develop. They could recite all of the facts about Isaac and Jacob. They could tell how these people were taken into a cruel captivity by Egypt and where they suffered unspeakable tortures and wretchedness there, and how in the providence of God a baby drawn up out of, a out of the water in a little tiny frail boat that his mother had made to keep him from being destroyed, one of the daughters of the king saw the baby and had her servants fetch him from the water. And that little baby, by the power of God, delivered that whole nation all of those Hebrew slaves out of the hands of the Pharaoh who was supposed to have controlled everything. These Hebrew children knew that. And they knew all of the great history of their people and so they could say without any fear right in the king's eyes, our God is able to deliver us. They could say with faith and he will deliver us. Now let me tell you, I prayed categorically within the last month for deliverance for four people. Two of the people did not receive deliverance at all. Two of the people did receive deliverance in just the way that I prayed about it as far as I know.
I was relating this to a Christian friend of mine yesterday, and I said, well, here are two specific prayers that have been answered. He said, you kind of checking up on God? Made me think for a minute. Was I really checking up on God? Our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. They had confidence in that fact. But then the grand statement that they made was, but if not, if in his own purposes, he has plans which we cannot understand and do not know now, we still will not bow down to thee nor serve thee. Did you catch when I was reading the lesson from the New Testament in that great account of God's Hall of Fame in the 11th chapter of Hebrews? When we get to the subject of martyrdom, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, and turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. But if not, O king, we still will not bow down to thee nor serve thee. Every time I get into a discussion group with people who really are honest about prayer, someone in the group will almost in inevitably bring up this question, why? Why doesn't God answer my prayers? And they say this sometimes with great feeling, and you've prayed every last one of you. You prayed again and again and again for things that God didn't answer as far as you could tell in the way that you wanted them answered. Well, what difference has it made to your faith? These young men said, but if not, O king, we still will not bow down to thee nor serve thee. They were sure that God would deliver them. And yet, in their minds, they could think out the possibility of not being delivered in the way that they thought of deliverance. And if they were not going to be delivered that way, then they still would remain faithful to God. I am sure that the faith that is the most precious to God is the faith that trusts him no matter what the circumstances are. There once stood right here, behind this pulpit, one of the most remarkable creatures I ever saw, as far as a deliverance was concerned. His name was Tom Smoke. Some of you might have heard him or seen him. Tom was in the United States Air Force. He was a co-captain of a great big KC-135 one of those enormous jet tanker planes that flies up into the air and refuels other jet aircraft in the air. The thing holds three tractor-trailer loads of jet fuel. 
on March the 1st, 1960, four miles up over Little Rock, Arkansas, before daylight in the morning. For no reason that has ever been explained, Tom Smoke's KC-135 exploded. He said from this pulpit that that morning he had waked up and made his prayers to God and read his Bible. He had an alarm clock that went off to awake him for this purpose. There were several things that he did not do that morning in the cockpit of the plane that had he done those things, his life would not have been spared. He said that the first sensation he had was enormous cold rushing against his face and great heat burning and then the sensation of falling, falling, falling and saying to God, God, let me die quickly, let me die quickly. Down on the ground below, the ground had rumbled like an earthquake. Windows had broken. A woman who had been having devotions rushed out of the house into the front yard and she saw a parachute open. A yellow parachute of the Strategic Air Command, but half of the thing was burned away. And the person coming toward the ground was falling much, much too fast. She fell down on her knees and began to scream out to God in prayer to save that man who was falling. Her husband, a professor at the University of Arkansas's branch in Little Rock, shouted to her to shut up. All the neighbors were watching. And she just screamed the louder in prayer to God. And this man fell and fell and fell. There were two trees, one on either side of the driveway. This woman had had a conversation with her neighbor about cutting down one of the trees. And it intended that the tree should have been cut down the week before, but for some reason the man who was to take the tree down hadn't come. The chute, which was burned partially away and falling way too fast, came. And that pilot of that airplane, falling toward certain death, fell right between those two trees and the fragments of his chute caught on the tops of the two trees. The trees had enough resiliency to bend forward with him. His feet barely touched the concrete runway and the trees swung back. He was left dangling with his feet just a few inches from the concrete in that runway. No part of the other members of that crew were ever found. Tom Smoke said from this pulpit right here that he did not know why when that volcano erupted in the sky that God should have chosen to deliver him. He said, I would never want to go through that experience again. It was like dying. But he said, for some reason, God had delivered him that day, and he has become a member of the Missionary Aviation Fellowship and takes the Christian message around the world. That's the most dramatic instance of a deliverance that I know anything about. But if not, 
that man would have still been faithful unto God, and he told us that that morning here in Gaither Chapel. But if not, others not accepting deliverance. Did you ever stop to think that those earliest Christians who died in the arena in Rome, you talk about violence today on television, by the year 225, the great amphitheater, the Colosseum in Rome, was made so that it would seat a crowd of 50,000 people. Those of you who have been there know that the height of it is enormous. It goes straight up so that you have the impression of looking right down inside. There they could sometimes flood it and have naval battles. There, as many as 2,000 men would fight to the death. And the Romans, in their decay, began to scream for more and more violence. Slaves, for the most trifling reason, were placed into the arena with their wives and children. Forests were planted overnight, and beasts were set loose to stalk these Christians down and kill them. And yet the testimony of the ages has been the remarkable faith of these martyrs who did not receive deliverance in the way that they might have prayed for it. And yet look, they could outlive and outthink and outdie the pagan Roman Empire. They could outlive it because of a firm faith in God's sovereignty and the purpose that he was working out in the world. But if not, if not. Now what about you and your, unan and, and your unanswered prayers? What about your life each day that seems so boring and so trite? Just taking care of the children trying to put up with people who are sometimes not grateful for what you're doing, wondering why God has called some of your friends with much lesser ability to great and high tasks, and you to a more menial task to do. In the light of this story here, the message is to be obedient, that God rewards faithfulness. This is what he's speaking here, that he rewards those who are faithful to him. Those Christians that died in the arena in Rome didn't think they were dying to make the world a better place. Don't ever get that in your head. They were dying simply because of obedience to Christ. All they had to do was take a pinch of incense and go put it on the altar to the emperor, and they were pronounced certified free. But they wouldn't do that. Obedient. Obedient unto death, not accepting deliverance here. Would you be that kind of Christian? There are people today in Russia and in Red China and in Eastern Europe who are having to suffer for their faith in Jesus Christ just like that. But if not, but if not, O King, we still will not bow down and serve thee. And if my life does not seem glorious, and if all of the things that I am trying to do are not fulfilled in the way that I want them, 
And if my children are not the brightest and the greatest in the world, and if I do not have all that's crammed at me from the television set, I still will not bow down nor serve the gods of this world and the idolatry of materialism and fame. But I will be faithful to the responsibilities that he has given me, obedient to the light that I have to go by in this life. This is the message that I can see from what these children went through. There was one likened to the Son of God who was there with them in the flame that day. And he's here with us, even in Montreat, no matter what our jobs might be, or in that hospital where we might be today, or even in the jail, or at work. And he has given to us a dignity and a joy that only comes from the presence of the greatest and the highest. Years ago, John Wesley came over here to Georgia to preach the Christian gospel. And he began to get letters that came to him from England. And in England, the rage of the day was an evangelist whose name was George Whitfield. And George Whitfield got a letter one day from John Wesley inviting him to come to America, inviting Whitfield to come. And in that letter, John Wesley said this interesting thing, you ask what I have to offer you here? He said, you shall have raiment to wear, food to eat, and a place to lay your head such as your Lord had not, and a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. But if not, O King, we still will not bow down to thee, nor serve the golden image. Let us stand in prayer. <clears throat> o God, our Father, there are multitudes of scriptures that assure us that all things are working together for good to those who love thee, to those who are called according to your purpose. We know that there is no person who has ever found salvation in Christ who is not called according to your purpose. Therefore, we pray thee to help us to take courage and to know the joy of that faith which does not depend upon circumstances, nor upon things being ordered in ways that shall mean our greatest ease. But help us, O God, to have that granite in our souls and that steel in our backbones that will enable us to be faithful to the faith that we have to the very finish of our lives. In Jesus' name.